Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder Podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history... We talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to another episode of History Hack. It's Monday, so that means it's World War II. Alina, who have we got on today? Today we've got Richard Hammond, who's a historian, author, and lecturer in war studies at Brunel University. He's joining us today to talk about his new book, Strangling the Axis, the Fight for Control of the Mediterranean During the Second World War, which is released at the end of this week. So welcome. Hi. How is lockdown? How's it going? How fed up are you now on a scale of one to ten? Oh, it's, it's very hard to put a number on it. Um, I, I guess it, somewhere in the middle, because um, I'm quite fortunate in many ways to you know, have a job I can, I can do from home and... I get occasional good bits of news like this book coming out, but um, mm. um, it's not great. And I haven't had a haircut since March, certainly. Oh, but it was exciting this week. I saw your pictures when the box turned up with copies of your book in. Yeah, it's crazy. So it's sort of slightly surreal feeling. Having you sniff of... them, is that the first thing you did? Yeah, well, maybe, yeah. yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. No, Isn't absolutely. that what we all do? Yeah, hell yeah. If a box of books turns up like, and they're yours and they're new, you sniff them. That's the first thing you do, that new book smell. I sniff all books. Any books that arrive... I will always sniff them. Some of yeah, the second I mean, hand ones, not so much. No. No, although you, you do also get when it's an old book as well, you go into a library full of very old books, sort of special collections, that kind of stuff. That, that's an incredible different kind of smell as well. Yeah, but I still like it. I mean, oh, I have yeah. quite a lot of those books next to me. And one of my friends said that smell makes her gag. I was like, we cannot be friends. I love that <laughs> smell. Not if cigarette smoke's got into them, but that old library smell. Love it. Me too. Me too. Let's How does my cat? He sniffs guys. books too when they arrive. Oh, uh, no, my dogs don't care. Oh, my cat sniffs everything though. I guess it's kind of touch for him. But yeah, he, uh, he loves the smell of old books. He's got a thing about um, Godley's life of an Irish soldier at the moment. He's rubbing his face all over it. But anyway, that's another story that's not relevant. Let's talk about the Mediterranean. Let's do it. This is going to be our first programme that talks about the Mediterranean in World War II. So I'm really looking forward to this. Richard, give us a brief overview of the situation in the Mediterranean before the Second World War. Before the Second World War, so um, the Mediterranean is a, a kind of a, a hotspot of, of potential conflict um, uh, through a lot of the 1930s. Um, there's a lot of kind of competition between the great powers there, um, Britain, France, Italy, um, Turkey, uh, a lot of kind of um, push for greater kind of control and power there um without it ever you know really kicking off kind of nothing ever sparks the the kind of the tinderbox in in that sense um so we see a lot of kind of maneuvering 
use of propaganda, this kind of stuff for, by different powers to kind of increase their control or destabilize the position of other powers, but without it really ever moving forward until you get to kind of the, the mid-1930s, things look as though there's greater possibility um, for uh, the sort of conflict in the Mediterranean directly between the great powers, as opposed to things like dealing with insurrections within their, within their empires and that kind of stuff. So um, 1935 is often seen as a key point because uh, although it's not actually technically the Mediterranean, um, the Italians, sort of fascist Italy, moves to uh, invade what is modern-day Ethiopia, but Abyssinia, as it's often referred to at the time, um, much to the kind of chagrin of Britain and France. And this is seen as the first real possibility uh, of conflict between Britain and France uh, against Italy. Um, you have to remember Britain has in many ways been a long-term kind of ally of Italy, supported the unification of Italy, this, this kind of stuff. Uh, and from that point onwards, for a variety of different reasons, we see fascist Italy and Nazi Germany kind of coming closer together and ultimately uh, signing an alliance in the form of the Pact of Steel, which theoretically promises uh, if, if either power goes to war, the other will come to war in their aid, although actually in 1939 it stays neutral. Um, so looking at it then, I'm guessing that all of the major powers that come into play in World War II had plans for the Mediterranean or what <laughs> they would do if a general war broke out. Uh, to, to, to differing levels, yes, certainly. So um, Italy has this, this kind of problem, it's often referred to as being, say, kind of the least of the great powers, i.e. it has a a seat on the great stage and is a sort of fairly powerful military power, but they can't really compete with the other major powers. So they have long-term plans and imperial ambitions for the Mediterranean region. Um, they, they want places like uh, Corsica, uh, Nice, Tunisia, Savoy, um, that have kind of been historically denied to them. Um, and they, they have kind of rough plans to take those places, but they are concerned that realistically they lack the power to do so. Um, and this isn't new for fascist Italy, this actually is the case with the old liberal Italy even before that, these were parts of their plans and in fact they, they fight them all with Turkey that gets them control of Libya for instance. Um, that was prior to the First World War. Um, so they have a rough idea that they, they want to do these things but that, that they lack the ability to do so. Um, contrast that with say Britain and France who are increasingly over the 1930s, coming closer together and expecting in the event of war that they would be very close allies. Um, they have a plan that if there is to be an outbreak of a global war and the Mediterranean is to be part of it, very simply, the Western Mediterranean will be a French responsibility with the exception of Gibraltar, and the Eastern Mediterranean will be a British responsibility. So they, they basically split it down the middle. Um, you will, you will deal with this half, you will deal with that half. Um, and you can contrast that with somewhere like, say, Germany, to whom the Mediterranean is, is a real peripheral thing. They, they, they simply don't care. They're a land-based European power um, with much more proximate concerns. They're not a major imperial power in quite the same way. The Mediterranean just, just doesn't matter to Germany in quite the same way. So when does the war begin in the Mediterranean? So the war in the, in the Mediterranean doesn't actually start until uh, June uh, 1940, uh, Italy declares war on the 10th of June 1940, so it's not long ago, earlier this month then, that we, that we, that we have the anniversary. 
Um, they don't declare war when Germany declares war on Britain, France, uh, or rather, I should say, when Britain and France declare war on Germany in 1939. They're technically part of a pact, the Pact of Steel, that says they should. Um, and to some extent, Mussolini, as leader of fascist Italy, wants to join the war, but uh, he's partly aware that uh, they're not really in a position to do so. Italy, they, don't, they, they, they lack the, the kind of the economic clout, they lack the military power, they lack the access to um, raw materials and all these kind of things for a major war against multiple major powers. So they come up with kind of clever way, really, to stay out of the war. Pushed, Mussolini's pushed further and further away from joining the war by his lead sort of military commanders and certain other key fascist officials that say, we can't do this. So they come up with an idea of sending an ultimatum to Germany, saying, we're happy to join the war uh, on your side. We merely need you to send us these things in order to allow us to be able to do so. And they put together a, a list of requirements that um, uh, the foreign minister, the Italian foreign minister, Galeazzo Ciano, famously says, it's, it's a list so long, uh, a list so kind of demanding, uh, it would it would kill a bull if a bull could read it. Um, so they send this kind of list of demands that means Italy doesn't enter the war because Germany, of course, refused. They can't afford to get rid of these things. The war in the Mediterranean starts June 1940 because the Italians sense an opportunity. Um, the uh, German invasion of France and the Low Countries has gone extremely well. The French are on the brink of defeat. It's only going to be another 12 days, ultimately, until they sign an armistice. Um, the British are on the back foot and facing a kind of a threat of uh, invasion of the British mainland longer term. So it seems like a way to enter the war at the kind of the latter stages, gain some spoils for very little loss. That's the kind of the Italian calculation. And that brings the war to the Mediterranean. Um what are the motivations for the Allies? Why bother? Why bother? Yes, yeah, yeah. question. So um, at this point, the Allies are still Britain and France, of course, because we, we, we still have well over a year until um, the US enters the war, mm -hmm. and France are on their last legs at this point. Although they're still fighting a very bitter war in France itself. It's, it's about to come to an end with the French armistice. They can't win. Um, for Britain, though, the Mediterranean is extremely important. Um, while it, of course, can't rank at the same level as, as the homeland in this kind of threat of invasion, they want to stop that, so that's their first priority. The Mediterranean for them is a, a link to their wider empire. And for all the talk of kind of Britain stands alone after the defeat of France, of course, it's the British Empire. So uh, all the different nations of the, the, you know, the dominions and the other sort of colonies they're all vital for Britain in terms of manpower, economics, access to resources. And the Mediterranean is your link to all those different places. Uh, it's been termed things like uh, the Clapham Junction of the British Empire, for instance. So having that kind of route through the Mediterranean where you can take a shortcut through past Gibraltar, through um, the Mediterranean and then down through the Suez Canal, it's a shortcut to the to the Indian Ocean and the Far East, so to your key possessions of, say, India, um, Salon, modern-day Sri Lanka, um, Hong Kong, uh, the, you know, access to the dominions of, of Australia and New Zealand. It gives you a quicker way to go to those places rather than travelling all the way around the Cape route south of Africa. Um, so they can shift 
men, material, resources back and forth very quickly. It was really important to them in the First World War. It was really important to them before that. Uh, so they want to keep hold of that as much as possible, even with this threat of invasion and, and the loss of their French allies. So why does it matter to the Axis? Largely, I'd, I'd say for the reverse reason, which is that you can, for the Axis powers, you can cut that access for, for Britain and later for the Allies as a general sense when we get, say, the USA joining the war. Um, the Soviet Union as well benefits, of course, from these things. Um, you can cut that access so you can deny them the ability to do this. You can force them to take these longer routes with shipping, which means that they have to take longer to achieve things. They can't move forces back and forth very easily. Um, so you can deny that to them. But there are also very Mediterranean specific things for the Axis as well. So if you're struggling to, having defeated France, you're struggling to finish off Britain, you've got a rough idea that maybe you might invade but you're hoping to knock them out through air power first that's not really working it's not working quickly how do you try and put extra pressure on them to to bring them to the negotiating table well inflict some severe defeats on them in the mediterranean um, if you can take egypt that's a huge blow um, to them one because it cuts that mediterranean route but two because it's prestige to lose such a key part of the empire in that sense um, would be a huge loss to Britain if you similarly Malta somewhere like that if you could do that and finally one of the big problems for all the Axis powers but in the case of this book particularly the European Axis powers of Germany and Italy is that they lack raw materials um, and one of their biggest problems is that they lack oil which is of course absolutely essential in terms of this war you need it to fire your industries you need it to put your ships to sea to, to use your, your, your armoured vehicles, all these sorts of things. Um, and of course, there are important oil fields in the Middle East that are, that are controlled by, by Britain and to a lesser extent by, say, Vichy France. Um, and if you can take those, you get to alleviate some of your oil problems. So there are real benefits to Mediterranean success for the Axis powers as well. So in a nutshell, how does the... How does the war play out in the Mediterranean? What are the salient points? So like a, a very quick rundown of the... Yeah, time. just for, for listeners that don't know anything about this theatre um, because they've only ever heard about the uh, West Northern Europe or they've only ever heard about Africa or the Far East. Um, what events would you point out to them that would be key in understanding the Mediterranean? Yeah, so one thing I should say very quickly is... I have, and indeed taking this book, a very broad view of what counts as the Mediterranean. So I would incorporate uh, not just the Mediterranean Sea and its various islands, but also uh, North Africa, the Middle East, um, the Aegean, uh, the Balkans, the Italian peninsula, southern France, places like that as well. Um, what we see uh, like very quickly, if I was to run down the, the course of the war in the Mediterranean, after the war starting in, in June 1940, we initially see a sort of a bilateral war between Italy and Britain, or the British Empire, I suppose. Um, and it goes very, very badly for Italy. It's, it's known as, um, in Italian, as uh, la guerra parallela, like, so the, uh, the, the parallel war. Uh, we're going to fight in the Mediterranean, and our allies, Germany, will fight in Europe, uh, in mainland Europe. And that's the idea, we work as sort of parallel. The problem for Italy is it's poorly prepared. They desperately tried to stay out of the war in 1939, they haven't been able to change their preparations very much in that short time through to 1940. 
And for all of Britain's problems, they're still a, a major military power. So they, uh, the initial sort of Italian attempts to kind of subjugate Malta through bombing or um, sort of attempt to attack the, the Royal Navy or to push in North Africa from Libya into Egypt all go very badly. Um, the, the Italian Air Force proves not very capable uh, things like bombing Malta. Uh, the Italian Navy suffers some pretty serious defeats at sea. And um, the attempt to push into Egypt on land goes very, very badly. Uh, they're, they're not only defeated in Egypt, but pushed right the way back into, into Libya. There's a famous quote from uh, Anthony Eden where he uh, sort of paraphrases Churchill at the end of this operation in North Africa, Operation Compass, where he says, um, never before in the field of conflict has so much been surrendered by so many to so few. Uh, where we see um, a over, <laughs> I think uh, it's one of those things where you've got to try and recall the numbers off the top of your head. But over 100,000 Italians in their sort of 10th army uh, are defeated by a force of about 30,000 British and Commonwealth troops. They're just not well prepared for mm. the conflict that's in front of them. And this brings Germany into the theatre, not because they want to be there, but because they feel that they have to now work against a war that's, that's going against them uh, or against their allies uh, in the Mediterranean. So we see a kind of a, a focus for a long time on North Africa uh, between um, Italy and Germany on one side and Britain and its kind of various imperial and Commonwealth troops on the other. Uh, we see a back and forth war in North Africa, which sort of starts with initial arrival of German forces and them and the, the Italian forces in North Africa push forward into Egypt, then they're pushed back at the end of the year, at the end of 1941. The same thing kind of happens in 1942. Uh, and it's only a couple of key defeats in, in late 1942 that the, um, the, the British are able to push across and push them back west out of Egypt, across Libya and ultimately into Tunisia. And also in late 1942, after a lot of kind of hectoring, um, the British are able to convince a rather reluctant American leadership, depending on which leader in particular you look at, but particularly the military leaders in America are not a fan of going to the Mediterranean. They bring the Americans in as well. Um, and so they're able to, to finish the campaign in North Africa with victory in Tunisia, huge surrenders of um, Italian and German troops there. Uh, and that sort of clears the North African shore in mid-1943. Um, and then you see the stepping stone through, it, uh, through Sicily into Italy from sort of mid-1943, right the way through to 1945. Very tough um, campaign in Italy. They never, actually, the Allies during wartime, liberate the entirety of Italy quite until the surrender of the Axis forces in Italy in, in April 1945. Um, Simultaneously, there's lots of other things going on. So there are campaigns in the Balkans. Um, there are attempts to, say, supply Malta, key British territory in the middle of the Mediterranean by sea. Um, there is an air war going on uh, related to the land wars in um, North Africa or Italy, also to the war at sea, but then separately also strategic bombing of, of Italy. Um, so there are a huge number of different things going on at the same time. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. In your opinion, what was the most important battle in the Mediterranean? I mean, I'm going to throw out there Monte Cassino. Monte Cassino, yeah. So, um, of course, well... I suppose really sort of four battles in one, isn't it? But um, yeah, it's interesting. I say slightly controversially, and it kind of links into to what I do in the book, um, that there isn't a most important battle in the, in the Mediterranean uh, sort of broadly defined. And that actually um, what's more important is a wearing down of um, the Axis' ability to actually conduct war there at all. Um, so... Um, my argument in the book, for instance, would relate to the, the kind of the, the destruction of kind of access, access to the seas that they need to succeed there. Um, and it's that gradual wearing down and kind of defeating of them in a way that they can't recover industrially and economically from it that, that, that causes that. Huge number of individual battles that are important in, a, in an immediate sense um, in the Mediterranean, broadly defined. Um, so sort of in British history, El Alamein in, in 1942, like 42 is, is often pointed to because it's the final defence of Egypt and they're preparing to abandon Egypt if they lose it. Um, and that would perhaps have drawn a line under the war in the Mediterranean and we'd have seen a very different result. So that's certainly very important. Um, similarly, battles like Monte Cassino, very, very important, although hugely costly for the Allies, in gradually bleeding... Germany at that point on, it, on its own, but gradually bleeding them white and they're forced to withdraw because uh, they, they don't have the ability to, to sort of stay where they are. They need to pull back. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd say actually, perhaps mildly controversially, that there is no most important battle in that sense. It's all about the attrition. So your book is about how the Axis strangled in the Mediterranean. Um, why does your book differ from others that cover the Mediterranean in the Second World War? Yeah, so the reason I, um, I refer to this idea of strangling the Axis powers is because if you're going to succeed in the Mediterranean, you are going to need to have access to the seas, ideally free and unfettered access to the seas, but if not, the ability to get sufficient access to get supplies safely through to places. So if you're going to be able to conduct some kind of warfare in North Africa, you need to be able to get supplies there. Now, because of their sort of control of various other ports and um, access to the oceans and things like this, for the, for the British, if they have to, it's not ideal, but they have to, they can go all the way around the south of Africa, down past the Cape of South Africa, back up again through the Suez Canal and, and drop things off, troop supplies and things, in Egypt. For the Axis powers, they don't have that access. They're trapped, as it were, in the Mediterranean. They've got um, Gibraltar uh, to, to the west 
and they've got um, Allied controlled Suez Canal to the east. They can't they can't get out. They're a, a prisoner in the Mediterranean, as one um, Italian naval officer famously calls it. Um, so for them, they have to send stuff directly across the Mediterranean. Now that might be south from Italy to North Africa, to Libya, Tunisia, places like that. They might have to send it elsewhere. And in fact, they've got a lot of other territories they need to deal with. So Sardinia is an Italian island. Later also Corsica when it's taken from the Vichy French in 1942. Um, islands across the Aegean, uh, Crete, uh, Kos, Leros, places like this. Uh, they need access to the Middle East if they can. Um, all sorts of places that they need to send men and material to keep them to keep them running. And all of these different places, North Africa, of course, they're fighting quite a bit of land war. But even the places where they're not doing that, Sardinia, Crete, places like this, uh, where they're not doing that very much, they have key bases there. So if you're going to have aircraft, for instance, based on these places that are going to, you know, trying to stop the Allies utilising the Mediterranean Sea by bombing them, if you can't get munitions and fuel and things to those places, you're not going to be able to to use them. So my argument, kind of linking in with this um, idea of what's the most important battle, is that actually via strangling this kind of maritime logistics network by sinking all these ships, carrying these things, um, they ultimately force the Axis position across the region just to collapse. They can't keep it going. So for all the importance of war on land and things like this, it's, it's really this for me, that, that decides the outcome of the war in the Mediterranean. Alex and I, I'm, I'm just going to be begging, Alex and I are total history losers, okay? We need to know, I mean, how did you do this research? Where did you find all of these incredible sources to put this Tell us, on? tell us, tell us. We are losers, absolute losers. We get yeah, we don't care. stuff. No, no shame. I, um, I love these kind of questions because this is, I'm, I'm very much a geek about this. Because you're of stuff. a loser as well. This is the point, And we are being listened to by a whole load of losers. So just be at peace with it. Well, I mean, in a broader sense. <laughs> Hold on, Alex, did you just call everybody losers? Hell yeah, we're all history losers. We love this stuff. Bring it. Okay, yeah, no, fair enough. Sorry, I just had to be sure of what she was saying. It's all good. I mean, in, in a general sense, I would say absolutely, and like losers of the world should unite really here. Um, yeah. So, I mean, this is my kind of like, you know, just I'm getting a bit too much into how much of a loser I am here, but my favourite <laughs> thing to do when I get a new history book is flick immediately to the bibliography. Hell yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh my God. Guilty. <laughs> yeah, guilty too. Yeah. I see where people have gone. What Who do they know that I don't? Yeah. <laughs> where, where did they get their sources from that I can also use? Yeah, who can I stalk that they talk to? So um, the things I've kind of used, this uh, perhaps the thing I'm most pleased with about the book is where I've been able to, to get source material from uh, and bringing in kind of different voices and different viewpoints and new evidence in, in that way. So as you'd expect, there's a, a lot of British and also quite a bit of American material in there from... Primarily British archives, also some American archives um, uh, and related kind of published stuff that, that goes with that. Um, but also I've been able to access quite a lot of access source material, um, quite a bit of which hasn't really been used, particularly Italian source material, hasn't been used anywhere near as much by other historians who write in, in the English language at least, uh, for a variety of reasons, which I'm happy to talk about in a bit if you like um but uh 
so as well as this kind of British source material, I was able to find a lot of Italian language stuff. Some of it from uh, archives in Italy, um, particularly their equivalent of the National Archives has some useful stuff, but also their Armed Forces Archives, so say the Naval Archives. Uh, sources from there are referenced uh, throughout the book. Um, but actually a surprising amount of both German, uh, which is generally translated, and Italian, which is what I've used as the original Italian language. Quite a lot of that material is actually available in the UK and in the USA, surprisingly. Um, a lot of it's kind of copies, things that, that were captured during the war and copies made of material, or were captured just after the war. Um, so actually you'd be surprised just how much Italian and German material is available in, say, the National Archives in the UK or the Imperial War Museum in the UK. Sometimes original copies of, say, there's a huge tranche of Italian Air Force documents uh, at the Imperial War Museum, originals of them. I've no idea why they're there. Um, but also a lot of material from Italy directly and also um, German and Italian material uh, from American archives where they've quite helpfully um, digitized kind of microfilms and you can you can kind of order them at a price to, to, to look at. So that's been very helpful also. And um, what do you think is the single most important argument you've put forward in the book? So um, one thing I think is, is extremely important and also kind of is something new compared to what people have written, you know, very important works on the Mediterranean in the past, is that for all the fact that we have lots of work on the war at sea in the Mediterranean, and some of it looks at, say, the impact of, of Axis losses, kind of losses of, of, of ships and their cargoes at sea on, say, the war in North Africa. One thing people haven't really done is assess what the overall attrition of, of this shipping really means for the Axis, Axis forces, and the, and the losses are, are huge. So the period I look at goes from June 1940, um, in terms of the war in the Mediterranean with the start there, right the way through to the end of 1944. Now, Italy is knocked out of the war in September 1943, but Germany, of course, fights on um, during that period. The, the losses are huge. So even during the just the course of the war in North Africa, so three of those kind of four and a half years, um, the Axis lose, uh, I think it was 1,350 merchant ships and oil tankers. Um, this is uh, about well over actually two and a quarter million tons of shipping that, is, that has been sunk or lost to other causes over this period of time. While those kind of losses don't quite equate with say the overall losses of the, of, of the Allies in the Battle of the Atlantic, they are huge figures and they're far more than the Axis forces can cope with. Um, there's a lot more after, that's not the total figure because actually throughout the rest of 1943 and throughout 1944 we see far more losses as well. Um, so you're well above three million tons by the end of it. Um, the losses are huge, and not only does that do things like, say, the inability to get enough um, fuel and ammunition to the Axis forces in, in North Africa at key times means they can't fight as effectively as they might have done. Actually, what it, what it does is the losses can't be replaced. So uh, for all the fact they can try and build new ships, in the Mediterranean, the Axis powers, for all the fact that they, and they do this a lot, can try and seize um, sh sort of ships and resources from defeated powers. So they, 
take millions of tons from the from the Vichy French, for instance, in total. Um, for all the fact they try and do that, it's not enough. Things are being st uh, sunk at a far faster rate than they can build or that they can kind of capture or, or take new things from elsewhere. And so that means that you gradually get a position where they can't sustain a position in North Africa whatsoever. Or uh, say in Sardinia and Sicily, you can't keep the airfields running properly. Um, so your ability to try and contest the Mediterranean in a way I said was important earlier, your ability to try and do that is, is, is cut. You can't keep large quantities of aircraft flying over the Mediterranean trying to sort of sink key allied ships that are doing things like supply Malta or sort of controlling sea routes or these kind of things. That disappears for you as well. So what we see is a, a withdrawal from all these places. Um, they lose in, in North Africa. Um, they, they try and get what they can out of North Africa, but they don't have the ships to evacuate properly. Um, and so we see a huge surrender there, actually bigger than we see the surrender of Axis forces in, say, Stalingrad on the Eastern Front. Uh, we see the withdrawal from Sardinia and Corsica. We see the withdrawal from the Aegean. Um, all these kind of places, they just simply can't keep them running. And that's something that, that hasn't really been looked at by historians, I think. They, they tend to focus on, yes, the importance of the Mediterranean, but it's, it's all about how does this link to um, the war in North Africa or something like that. But what I try and really do here is take a, a bigger view of it to offer something new, so using some of this, this new source material. I think my, one of my favourite very short quotes from it is one uh, from Mussolini in, in 1943 as the war in North Africa is, is nearing uh, what for them is a, is a disastrous end. It's a very short quote, but he just says to one of his advisors, um, my illness has a name and it's convoys. And this idea that he is, for all his kind of huge faults as a, as a kind of commander in that sense at the top of a sort of national commander, um, he is aware that actually it's the war at sea that is, is, is falling apart for them and their ability to, to access the sea and, and keep places going has, has simply been removed. Um, it was very interesting in that sense um, and found some fascinating new material that demonstrates just how much this was the key causal factor for me um, in final Allied victory in the Mediterranean. It sounds fantastic. I'll tell everyone again what it's called. It is out later this week, but you can order your copy now and it'll just be dropped when it um, comes out, won't it? Yeah, so the, the book is out with uh, Cambridge University Press and it's called Strangling the Axis, the Fight for Control of the Mediterranean during the Second World War. Um, if anyone uh, is interested, I can circulate um, a 20% off voucher, just get in touch with me, this kind of stuff. Um, but always happy to hear people's questions and, and feedback when the time comes on, on the book. I love engaging with work and hearing what people think about it. Absolutely. Um, and I'm sure because everybody that's listening to this is basically as sad as us. I'm sure there will be questions and I'm sure there will be a dialogue when uh, people have a chance to read it. So thanks very much for coming on, giving us an overview of the Mediterranean and telling us why your book is going to add something new. Well, oh, thanks very much for having me on and thanks for all of the, the great work you've done so far, keeping us all going through lockdown. I think. <laughs> at the, uh, the risk of uh, killing ourselves yeah but we're getting there <laughs> we're getting there we, we're seeing a, a better structure in place aren't we Alina for, no, not, for not destroying ourselves <laughs> but thanks again no thank you very much
Join us tomorrow when Islam Issa, historian and broadcaster, will be with us to talk all things Cleopatra. We're really looking forward to that one. Not had nearly enough ancient Egypt on yet. We have many new patrons to thank. It's been ages since I gave a list out. So thank you to Steve Murphy, Craig, M. Thompson, Stuart Major, Trollball, Ravaged Heart, Spooner, RZR Back 68, we haven't got a name for you, Carol Hope, History Girl LFC, Diane, Caffrey's Spud, Marianne McNally, Nathan, Adam, Barbie, Glenn, Louise, R. Gladstone and SWM75, whatever that stands for. Thank you all so much. It is much appreciated. And if you are on the higher band of contribution and there is something that you want to see on History Hack or want to hear... Do let us know because you have the option to try and plug a historian with us and we will go out and get them. We've got the first one of those coming out next week, actually. Uh, One of our patrons asked for Thomas Morris and we went and found him. And you'll be able to hear all about the mad case of the exploding teeth and all manner of other medical mysteries. Don't forget, you can become a patron of History Hack for as little as a dollar a month. Just go to www.historyhack.podbean.com. It will help us keep going in the aftermath of the coronavirus, and we would really appreciate it, as we would love to do so. There now follows a public service announcement. I'm Horatia Hornblower. And I'm Archie Kennedy. The simplest gift you can give in these troubled times is to obey orders. Indeed. The regulations are very clear in the matter. It is the duty of all of us to remain at anchor until the little people in the talking box signal you otherwise. You don't want to end up getting flogged. Good day to you. Good day to you both. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.